Welcome to Descender from Klarna, a podcast where we deep dive below the surface of design. I'm your host, Rachel Rosenson, and in this new mini-series, I'll deep dive into the world of UX writing with some market leaders. Today, we're talking about the pitch. As a UX writer, who are you? Why are you here? What's your role? And yes, you are, of course, a designer. We're going to break down this topic with two very special guests. So please welcome to the show, Alex and Nick. First, we have Alex Tukachenko is a UX writer coming from a software engineering background and also as a data analyst. He previously helped redesign the Upload app, leading solutions for toll road payments in the U.S. And currently, he's focused on the post-purchase experience at Klein. When not at work, he could be found roaming the streets with a camera, currently based in Stockholm. Hey, Alex, how's it going? Hey, awesome. Cool, cool. Also joining us today is Nick Netherland. Nick's had the privilege of joining as Karna's first UX writer, or is it a content designer? He's a Texan transplant to Stockholm, and he spent the past few years building up a team of accomplished UX writers to help bring the good news of content design to all areas of the business. When he's not doing content design at Karna, he's cooking up an artery-clogging, early grave-insuring, Texas-style feast with all your favorite fix-ins. What's the favorite fix-in of the moment, Nick? That's fair. It's always a good one. Guys, I'm super excited to have you here today to talk about the pitch of, of how you present yourself as a UX writer. So I guess to start us off, I'm curious, how do you describe your role today? Maybe Nick, as the first UX writer at Karna, I'm curious your take on this. This is a, a question that probably changes a little bit depending who we are talking to. But I would say if I were to give a blanket definition of what it is that I'm doing. It's trying to find a way to ensure that the design we have and the way that we speak to people in design makes sense to them. They understand what they can do with the product that they're trying to interface with. It's as simple as that. It makes sense. Alex, how would you describe yourself? First, I I want to agree with Nicholas that if I explain my role to, let's say, my parents, of course, I'm going to say that I'm a designer. So, but if I work with someone who know how the product development happens, I I just say that I have this uh, missing link between product uh, owners and designers, uh, making sure that we actually deliver the whole user experience, not just partially the vision of product owner and designer. It's interesting that both of you mention how, depending on who you're speaking to, the definition of a UX writer changes. Is that frustrating that, that you have to adapt to other people's worldviews of UX writing? It's sometimes, I'm going to be honest, it's a bit frustrating because, uh, I mean, depending on the market, depending on the country, depending on a lot of stuff, people tend to not see the link between copywriting, content writing, and uh, design. So sometimes I can get comments like, whoa, you have a senior designer mentioned in your ID card from Sweden. Like, why, how are you related to design? I mean, I saw you work with copy. So yeah, sometimes it's like, oh, okay, let me just, let me give you this TED talk about how this works. <laughs> And, and give me, give me the elevator pitch of that TED talk. When you're trying to explain to someone why content is designed, what's, what's the go-to description? Uh, I think that usually I try to explain with examples and I say, Hey, remember you ordered food last time and you just really did not like not getting push notification about the order being late. I'm the person who makes it work and make sure that you get all the proper communications and make sure that you understand how to order that food. 
Same goes for taxi. What about you, Nick? How do you describe the, what's the elevator pitch? I try to get people to imagine that they are working with looking at a product that has no text in it and try and find a way to kind of navigate that product. So you imagine a product that has no text in it. And how do you navigate this? How do you get around? How do you know what things do? How do you accomplish your job to be done? Are there any kind of common misconceptions that you run into with people in the product org when it comes to what your role is? Okay, can I just like jump in here because it's like my biggest pet peeve. I mean, this problem is being really, really similar to marketing and brand copywriters is something that brings a lot of pain to my life because I guess many companies right now, again, it depends on the market, but many companies want to hire one, one man for the job, like one person who handles all the copy. And, you know, when you deal with marketing copy and brand copy, that's sometimes that's even okay, but don't get me, don't get me started with uh, social media management. That's sometimes all, also might pop up at some companies for UX writer or copywriter. I guess that's the biggest misconception that you can do any kind of copy. Of course I can, but I don't think we can be as efficient as a dedicated person for that. I would love to build exactly on, on what it is that you're saying, because it's also a source of frustration. Bringing the brand voice into the product experience is something that we do, but we have very limited opportunity to, to do this in a way that's actually impactful and meaningful, right? Like there are only so many ways that you put clothes on the, on a dialogue, right? There's only so many ways to spice this up. So the opportunity to actually create a really highly branded experience, it's pretty limited. It is something that we do, but it's really not the core of, of the work. And the core of the work is understanding user problems, understanding how users perceive our solutions to those problems and figuring out a way to communicate our solution to them in a way that resonates with them. And these are completely different worlds, right? The be sexy and quirky world and the help me do the thing that I'm trying to do world. There's not a huge overlap. I imagine that's quite a challenge because with design, we have this design system that we can really lean against. And it's easy for us to illustrate, okay, there's the stuff you see in marketing ads and that's brand. And then there's the stuff in the design system and that's functional. But with words, you don't have as clear of a visual guideline for people to just understand, like, why would certain words be for branding experiences? And then in functional products, you need a different kind of vocabulary. So how are you building up that argument and you have to educate these product people that you're working with? It's a challenge. <laughs> so to be very transparent with you, we're really not there, right? We are in the slow, arduous process of trying to show that what we are saying is not just our opinion, dude, but it's something that is rooted in research and heuristics and that the heuristics themselves are scientifically validated and of course need to be revalidated. But I accepting that People don't necessarily believe us when we say that this is the best practice for XYZ reason. And it's instead showing <laughs> why this is the best, best practice through research. What about you, Alex? I think that there are two things to, to discuss here. First is that sometimes we can, we work with different kinds of communications. We prepare copy for screens, but we also prepare copy for transactional communications. And sometimes it's really challenging to, it's quite easy to explain why we cannot fit in a lot of marketing and branding stuff in the screen because there is no space, but sometimes it's really challenging to explain why we cannot add a lot of uh, branding, marketing and stuff into uh, communications, like in the email, because uh, everyone is like, hey, we have so much space here. Let's just add this block and make it more fun and more brand. And my take on this is just showing 
the team uh, you work with on this, showing them the best practices and explaining why they are the best practices. And also when it, this doesn't really work well, I also love to ask them what kind of apps they really like to use when they name something like, you know, Postmates or something else. I go like, Hey, can you just check uh, this app and check out how they resolve this and see that the thing we are discussing here is really easy, easy to resolve. So I guess, as I said, in, in one of my previous answers, examples really make everything simple, but it's not easy. It seems like you both talk about the importance of best practices and really showing how the market does that. Are there in particular apps that you really love to look at when it comes to UX writing inspiration that you think is are really doing a stellar job? I've always loved what Slack was doing. I still find it really funny that Slack started this scene with uh, release notes. Uh, it's a great idea. What about you, Nick? What are, what are some apps that you always keep an eye on in the market for their UX writing? I'm going to give you a really disappointing answer here. And that is, I, I am such a grouch that I, I am not looking for this at all in the wild and I don't even notice it when it's good. So when it's good, like I never have that little light bulb moment that like, oh, actually I could probably do this too, which I probably should, but the opposite definitely happens all the time. Yeah. Right? Where, uh, there are some services that I use, but they, the UX for their apps is just so bad. Like I was logging into my online banking for my American bank account. My American bank account is run by this tiny credit union. They have no resources. They don't have a design team, right? It's almost, it's almost certainly the case. They certainly don't have a, any content designers on their team. And I, I was trying to do something the other day. It was impossible for me to do to transfer money to my wife. And then I discovered that there were five ways to log out of the app from one page. <laughs> anyway, so like the long story short, somehow not really seeking it out in my life outside of work, but I definitely see the opposite all the time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how that happens. And I feel like it, it kind of shows the difference in the designers who really believe in the beauty of function versus the beauty of aesthetics. I, I had someone who always used to say that their favorite example of interaction design was an automatic door, because when mm -hmm. an automatic door works, you're completely oblivious to the fact and you think, oh, it's just a door, who cares? But the second you walk up and the automatic door doesn't open for you and you're waving your arms and all of this kind of nonsense, you realize how helpful automatic doors are when they work and, and how frustrating it is when mm -hmm. you have to do that manual effort. And I do find that I'm this kind of automatic door designer where I want to design things that you don't notice because it just makes your life easier mm -hmm. as opposed to necessarily beautiful things. I'm a grouch as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I like the way that you put it. it I, then I don't have to self-identify as a grouch. I'm a door designer. That's much nicer. <laughs> nice. I, I agree with what Rachel said, because actually there is this very cliche saying that when you watch a football game and you don't notice the referee. That's like the best referee ever because uh, you just enjoy the game. I guess that's some, uh, something similar because it's funny because I also have an example of the banking app mm. and we have this banking app in Ukraine, which does like a really great job. I mean, I have no idea what kind of communication style they use because I just don't notice that it, it just works perfectly. And at the same time, I have the app in Europe that <laughs> I use as a, my main banking app. And everything was okay, but at some point I was trying to send the application fee transaction to the local authority and this banking app was like, oh, it doesn't work. And there was this huge error screen and the copies, they were like, it's impossible to send this transaction, please. And there are three dots here. And I'm like, please what? Like, please don't <laughs> embarrass yourself. Just, just stop trying. Just forget about it. It was crazy. Actually, it was the point when I 
even went to Instagram trying to say, hey guys, what the hell is going on here? So sometimes I'm also proud. That's the true sign of failure when you have to do the Instagram crowdsource <laughs> story to figure yeah. things out. Mm. But I've noticed both of you have alternated between saying UX writer and content writer. Mm. I'm curious if there is a difference when you say those things. Sure. So I tend to use the terms UX writer and content designer pretty interchangeably. I think that UX writing is kind of a tactic in content design, right? UX writing is writing in an application UI. That is what UX writing is. But our job is a lot more than just writing in an application UI. It's also trying to understand user problems. It's about trying to think about hierarchy of information, trying to think about cognitive load, right? Like how much information is a user at any particular point in this journey able to actually hold in, in their mind and comprehend. So it's a lot of thinking about things that are not actually relating to writing in the UI. I, I tend to think of UX writing more as a tactic for kind of a larger discipline of content design. Now, when we are thinking about what do we call ourselves? Well, at Clarina, we're called UX writers. If I were to go back in time, I think I might not choose that term as the way to identify the people that are doing this work for a couple reasons. It puts a lot of emphasis on the writing part of the work. <laughs> it's got writer in the, in the title. And that has implications, right? It colors your perception of what you're getting when you, as a product manager, learn that you're getting a UX writer on your team. It sort of colors your perception already of, of what it's going to be like to work with them, what kind of process you should expect, what service they provide you, et cetera. Sometimes I think it actually makes sense to, to, to take that title in an organization, like you're not actually involved in the process of developing iterative design. You really are executing microcopy. You're thinking about labels, you're thinking about CTA buttons, you're thinking about menu items. If that's all you're doing, then I think that it definitely makes sense as a title, but I find continually the struggle is getting people to see you as design peers, first of all, within design and getting to see you as, as some being seen as someone who is doing more than freshening up copy in, in the product world. Therefore, I have a pretty strong preference for content design as a title that I would choose for myself uh, and, and for my team. But I also recognize that like people come at this job from many different places. And some people really want to focus on the writing part, right? Like that's where they get the joy and that's kind of where they see their strength. They view it as firstly writing. I don't view it that way at all. Night, to me, writing is actually the least enjoyable part of, of content design work. It's the part that I want to be engaged with the least, but I understand that of course, people come at this from, from many different directions. But I gotta say that what you said about UX writing title, I agree that it emphasizes the writer, but what I like about this is we have UX there and the person <laughs> who really enjoys working with user experience, honestly, sometimes I'm like, okay, content design, UX, right. And whatever, just give me to work with user experience and just let me do my job. And I'm, I'm going to be super happy because as I said, I think that we are somewhere between designers and even product managers, like the link between them is because I think that amount of research and uh, how much we prepare for writing that copy is uh, like, I don't know, it's so much more than just writing. And I also agree that writing sometimes is the least enjoyable part for me, but for me, it's always about UX. And when mm. we talk about content design, it sounds, it's, it still emphasizes content as well. So <laughs> I'm not sure what is the best uh, solution here, but for me, I, I like to have a title that says something with UX because my day-to-day -day job, I can say that I work a lot with research planning, trying to figure out how to execute some kind of idea to make sure that the life of the users gets easier. 
So I'm not, I don't think that content designer is the final uh, solution. It's mm. a good solution, but not final. Let's see where we get in a few years, I guess. The nice thing about content design though, is content is such a flimsy word, right? Like I, I get this question, what is content? How does that differentiate from other parts of the design? It's so wonderful because you can really just say anything you want and like, there's no real way to, there's no real way to contest it. So maybe it can still keep kind of the, the UXE idea, or maybe we could come up with something, something totally new. Yeah. I think that's the description of content to me tripped me up because like when I think of content creation and maybe it's just the world we live in of content creators, I think of that as really being a lot more of a rich media, whereas mm -hmm. I think a very critical part of what UX writers do is, you know, what are the calls to action? What are these CTAs on buttons or links and these really small elements of text that are so impactful? And I guess just my idea of content is it's a broader, it's, it's a big thing, whereas maybe it doesn't encompass those micro things, but it's interesting hearing you, the experts talk about it, of course. Are there other titles you've had in different jobs? How has the titling of, of UX writing and content designing changed throughout your careers? Well, I can give you maybe the worst title that I've had. <laughs> it was a digital copywriter. That's the best. So you nice. have digital, which means you're in the 21st century and you have <laughs> copywriting so that, you know, you're working with uh, really progressive words. I mean, it was really like from the aughts, you know, <laughs> but I think the idea that that organization, it was a different context because I was the classic all around copy guy, the guy who did everything. So you wear a lot of hats. And then in that case, maybe it made a little bit more sense because you're doing things like creative campaigns and then social media stuff and then product stuff <laughs> as well. It was a role without bounds, right. And without scope. So maybe it kind of necessitates also a title that has no meaning. Well, it's important to clarify, you don't use a typewriter, you know? Very true. Very true. So you're digital, but I've got a more meaningless title, I guess, because one of my titles was a uh, creative writer. So Ooh. you're a digital copywriter. I'm a creative <laughs> writer. So creative means I'm a really creative person. So I came up with any kind of writing and whatever I write is quite creative. So that was like really the least, like it was, it was a weird title. But at some point I, I liked it. I was like, well, whoa, 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 I'm a creative writer. Like that, that's uh, the point where you try to explain people what you do. Like I'm a creative writer. I do so, all sorts of creative stuff. Sometimes you could also say that you're a digital creative writer and that's just, uh, whoa, amazing. But mostly when we discussed content design, why I also don't like that is because I had this title content writer and it really sends me back to times where I worked on articles for blogs, guest posts and everything. It was a lot of SEO and stuff. So whenever someone says content, I'm like, oh, damn, I got this article to prepare for the guest post and the link building. That's horrible. Content writer really says to me, you're working in really kind of a factory scenario, right? Where the, the quantity of output is maybe more important than quality of output. That's what it implies to me, at least. That's why some people who work with, I guess, video and photography, just don't like the word content because they say that it, it doesn't feel creative enough. And that's what you just said about quantity, because when someone puts out some content, it means that I guess it's like daily vlogger creating one movie per day or something. And when you say, I don't know, a filmmaker, it's usually someone who works a lot on the uh, production and uh, creates a movie once a year. So for me as well, content really makes it feel uh, like it's a lot of the quantity uh, versus uh, quality. Yeah. It's 
It's quite interesting how these different titles change. I mean, it also seems like these were roles that didn't understand what the value or, or scope of UX or content design is, because it seems like they were just throwing you at, at random works. I mean, those titles slightly reflected that. It makes me think how you mentioned these are kind of the words not to go for. It must be a minefield when you're looking at different job descriptions to understand, is this actually going to be a UX writing role or is this going to be generic, all kinds of writing stuff? How do you suss out the, the scope of the role? I think that's a great question. So I'm a hiring manager, so I'm involved in talking to a lot of candidates and you hear the same pains over and over and over again when you talk about their work now and people want to avoid that, right? But People are also sold kind of the same story over and over again, which is you will be able to be involved in product decision-making, yada, yada, yada. And then they arrive to the organization that they get hired to, and it's not like that at all. They have no decision-making power whatsoever. They have no ability to influence anything. They are working in a, a very strict waterfall sort of design production line, essentially, and then they get burned out. This is going to sound really cynical, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, <laughs> but I don't think that you can really suss it out from a job description. I think you actually have to talk to someone about their process at work. And uh, if you can't do that, then it's going to be very difficult, I think, to really get an idea of what your life is going to be like. Maybe, Alex, you have a, a different perspective on this. Yeah, first of all, I got to say that as a person who was hired by Nick, I really appreciate uh, how Nick asked me everything, like what I like and what I don't like to work on. And the moment I said like, hey, I don't like working with marketing copy and writing articles, Nick just said that like, yep, just you won't, we'll never do that. And that was great. I hope this approach will be more widely used because I guess it was the first time when I got this. And right before this talk with Nick from Klarna, I had another meeting with a smaller company from Ukraine. And they were like, hey, we're looking for UX writer. And I'm like, great. And we had a few interviews and they're like, you know, we decided not to go with your candidacy because we are more looking into the someone who will work with marketing as well. And at some point it was, of course, uh, like not the best feeling, but I also appreciate that they just, just said it quite straightforward. Like we decided that this person will also work with marketing. So it was kind of the moment of honesty and it's great. But I think that just to be an advocate for those uh, companies who hire you as a UX writer and then tell you to do something else, I want to believe that sometimes they just try to use your skills to take out fires that created somewhere. Like if it's a small startup, they did not really plan for you to do, I don't know, SMM or something, but at some point they're like, okay, our social media manager is out. Uh, can you just make a few posts? And at some point, I guess our psychology works this way. They're like, okay, you're doing great. Maybe you should just continue doing that. Uh, sometimes that's how it works. So I guess maybe that is not intentional. And I really hope that's not intentional. Yeah, it's hard. I get that when someone asked me to design an icon, which is like, I technically can do it, but I say no. One, I find that people don't usually appreciate the time it takes to design a great icon because they do look so simple. And then they start asking you more and more. And I feel like once you say yes, then you no longer have this out to say, no, we do need budget for an icon designer. We need to outsource this, et cetera, et cetera. So it seems like it's the same with UX writing that if you start allowing in those marketing-based projects, it's kind of hard. I wonder though, it's it, that's a hard conversation to have with people though when they ask for your help. And especially if you're newer at a role or in a probation period as we have here in Europe um, to say, no, you won't want to take those on. So how do you say no to those things that aren't your job 
in a way that still makes you a, a collaborative team player who who is an asset to the company. This is a this is a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's not always your job actually to make sure that someone understands your motivations for saying no to something. In order to do that, you have to already have a clear scope of work and a clear rationale for not working on a project that is kind of outside that scope of work. I've also found that communicating with your direct manager on this topic or people that control your time in some kind of way, like a, a product manager, essentially, making them aware of the things that you are working on and making them aware of the requests that come from outside of your product space is also in incredibly important. I'm trying to think of getting the people that you're saying no to, to still appreciate you as a collaborator. That's hard because they have a problem in front of them and they need it solved. And I think part of your job is actually to let fires burn a little bit, to be totally frank. And the reason why I say that is, I know this is not really the case for, for Klarna necessarily, but it definitely is the case that a lot of companies that are hiring UX writers or content designers or whatever. Well, the idea is we only need one person because we only, we have small content problems, right? We're again, like looking at this kind of uh, waterfall design production system where kind of the, the product manager gets the idea, the product designers implement on the idea, and then the writer comes in and fills in the blanks at the end. And if that's how you're working, you you can't like your expectation is that one person is going to be able to do, do a lot of stuff. I guess I can just help you out here and say maybe sometimes uh, when it's really not your job, but you want to help a person, I guess, yeah, let's just take some, I don't know, uh, real situation I had before mm -hmm. when someone wanted to prepare copy for a banner or a um, uh, social media post. I just tried to explain that, hey, I can do that. But first of all, the result will not be as great if, if someone who works with this would prepare that. And also I can give some sort of references. Like for example, I had this uh, marketer who asked me for social media posts and I just really did not have time. Uh, and it was really easy to check by just simply looking at my Jura or something, wherever I track my tasks. And I said, but hey, let me check. I have a similar account followed for similar app, get some inspiration. So I guess maybe if you really cannot collaborate, but you want to be a good collaborator, maybe you can just at least uh, nudge person in the right, right direction. Like, hey, you can get some inspiration or uh, use it as a reference, something here. And I guess this might be helpful. Mm. Yeah, maybe building on what Alex said, I really like the idea of teaching people how to fish insofar as it's possible. We do have internal documentation relating to UX writing here, which is a valuable resource, I think, for both UX writers and uh, people who are finding themselves in the unfortunate position where they have to write UI copy, but that's not actually their job. Being able to reference that is, is of course, very helpful. Of course, people don't maybe necessarily want to do the work themselves. That's why they're talking to you. But being able to point them to something that would enable them to do the work themselves or at least do a better job than they would have if, if they didn't have any kind of support is better than doing nothing. Yeah, makes sense. So it seems like to summarize, when people are asking you to do work that isn't their own, it's either about sometimes letting the fires burn and so that they can really see the value and that they need to make space to hire for those roles. But then it's also about uh, looking for support. So seeking someone else back up where you need to spend your time, but then also how are you helping other people? So either sending them to the right direction for other kind of research that they can do on their own and check out best practices or advising them on the kind of writing that they're doing which I think are all really great ways to help fill the gap without spreading yourself too thin or diluting what your purpose and goal really is at being in a company. So 
I think this is all really good tips. Uh, unfortunately, our time is coming to a close, but since we have talked about the importance of how you are naming this role and how the name keeps evolving, I guess my final question to both of you is what would you name your role in the future? As a person who really wants uh, the UX part to stay there, <laughs> I would really look to something like UX expert, which I don't like the word expert. I understand it's really cheesy, but my point here is that I specialize in UX, but at the same time, I'm not like fully UX designer at this point, but I cover a lot of UX cases. I mean, I work with user journeys and everything. I try to make the user experience smooth. So I guess mostly what I do is UX expertise. What about you, Nick? I, I like UX designer. I think that's nice. I think it would be nice to get away from the writer, get away from the contents because we have so many overlapping skills anyway. And I feel that there are many people who are working in product design or interaction design who might consider themselves also UX designers with a focus on interaction. I would consider myself perhaps the same, but from a content perspective, I would love to see a world where there's a little bit more overlap actually, and a little bit less like we have a very stringent division of labor, right? You do the design, I do the words, somebody else does the thinking, somebody does the research. It would be nice to have a little bit more just overlap in general. The Sender is sponsored by the design team at Klarna. It's produced by Jumotran Lechon, Francesca Cutulo, Melanie Lovebird, Anusha Hussain, and Rachel Rosenson. To learn more about your regular career paths on the Klarna design team, head to klarna.com careers. A special thanks to Aldion Hagström for having music throughout this episode. Got questions you want to hear other designers answer? Write us at thesender at klarna.com. See you next time.